Hi there and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex from BTN.com and after a week off from the football-focused edition of these podcasts, we, we took a break due to basketball media days, dropping in the middle of last week. We are back with another weekly college football episode and if you haven't caught these in the past, this is where Tom Deanhart and I bring in a national college football writer or analyst, bring him on the show to help us all lower our, uh, our Big Ten shades for an hour each week and then help us see the big picture in the national landscape of college football. This week we brought on the host of SiriusXM's ESPNU Full Ride Show, it's Chris Childers, and very glad to have him because this is a huge weekend coming up in college football. Um, Columbus, Ohio will pretty much be the epicenter of the college football world. Um, it'll be the biggest game unequivocally this weekend uh, in college football with Penn State coming to town to take on Ohio State. It's the number six team versus the number two team in the country. And it's really the first game of the year in the Big Ten that has these major season-defining implications for both teams involved. So uh, it's going to be a colossal matchup, and we talk a lot about it in this episode and on all of our BTN platforms. We'll, we'll be uh, breaking down the game bit by bit. And uh, not only that, but you stepped outside lately, and I hope for everyone's sake out there that, that you, you are getting your fresh air. Um, that football weather is here for, for most of the country, so when you step outside, you know, that stiff breeze hits your face and you can see your breath, yep, that's that's how you know it's real. Uh, we're, we're getting down to it here, and um, you know it because it just feels like college football outside. So, like I said, we talked a ton about that Ohio State-Penn State game, and we do our usual segments that we every week and we have fun as we always do and after the interview with chris childers we bring in btn researcher harold shelton uh back after a week hiatus uh for our stat head segment that we do each week because we want to get uh harold's take on the the numbers behind these games because he is the man no one does it better when it comes down to crunching the um the stats behind each game and before we get to both those interviews with chris and harold do have a couple of reminders I got to get out to the audience. First, uh, just a quick one to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean, and leave a rating and review if you haven't already. And also, we still do have our promo going on the BTN shop, so another reminder about that. Please take advantage of that coupon code, and to get 10% off your order on the BTN shop, here's what you do. You go to btn.com and click the shop tab at the top of the screen. Or if you're on your phone, it's the store tab at the bottom of the screen. And once you've, uh, you know, perused around there, browsed the store, and picked out one of the great pieces, or many of the great pieces of merchandise they have, whether it's official team apparel, team licensed decorations, whatever you can find, you can take 10% off your order through the Take 10 podcast by entering the coupon code TAKE10. That's T-A-K-E-1-0 to take 10% off your order. And, you know, we're getting to that time of year. It's almost November. I know you early Christmas and holiday shoppers out there trying to get it out of the way. You know, check it off your list. So you might as well save a trip to the mall where they're going to be out of stock anyway and just go straight through the BTN store. They got better stuff than the mall, your campus store anyway. And that's that's uh, not just a plug. I'm not, I'm not lying. They've got Jordan, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, legit team stuff. So enter that coupon code TAKE10 and, uh, and get it done. Get that shopping out of the way. So now we will get to the rest of the show and it starts with our discussion with SiriusXM's Chris Childers. 
very pleased to be joined once again by Tommy D, Tom Deanhart, calling in from his home in Missouri. And we're joined by another national guest as well. This week, it's the host of Full Ride and ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. It's Chris Childers, and you can fi- find him on Twitter, at Childers Radio. Chris, what's up, man? How's it going? Good. I'm uh, so excited to be on with you guys at the BCN. What's up? Yeah, appreciate <laughs> you coming on. Yeah, we're doing um, good. It's always good to hear your voice, Chris. Chris, you Absolutely. you do your show in uh you do your show in Nashville, right? I do. I do it out of the Bridgestone Arena, home of the Nashville Predators, your Western yeah. Conference champion. Yeah, <laughs> Bridgestone Arena, not very friendly, known for not being very friendly to Chicago Blackhawks fans. Um, but that's uh that's SEC in the in Tennessee Vols country, so I feel like people there must be kind of shell shocked what's going on right now. Is that is that the case? Oh, yeah. Um, people, so I work out with a lot of Tennessee fans, and I see a lot of Tennessee fans all over the place, and we are the heart of Big Orange Country. And, you know, like, the weather's been beautiful this fall in Nashville, yet everybody's down, everybody's sad, everybody's depressed. Yeah, and the Titans probably aren't helping, helping uh, matters either, are they? Dumpster fire with no hope in sight. Oh, my goodness. No offense, no nothing. So everybody is so bummed around here. It's kind of a sad time to be in the Nashville area. And, hey, I can attest to the whole Chicago Blackhawk thing. I am one. I'm from Chicago, and I work in that building, and I get treated like a second-class citizen, and it's nonsense. Nonsense, I tell you. I know. Yeah, that's one thing One thing every year that gets Blackhawks fans worked up is when they try and keep the red out of that arena, and I know it's – it's always a running joke around here, but it's it's, it's all in good fun. So um, we'll uh, get to our college football talk now since we got a, a very exciting weekend of football coming up. Um, first, we'll reflect, though, uh, like we always do on this show on the weekend that was in college football. We're going to get your guys' initial impressions, just a quick synopsis and uh, reaction to the past weekend in college football, which, if we're being honest, uh, didn't offer a whole lot of drama on the Big Ten side of things. So we'll start with Tom, and we'll start in conference with him. Tom... Uh, just give me a quick reaction and uh, what jumped out at you from Big Ten football this past weekend. Well, you know, I think um, when you look at uh, you look at the conference overall, we're getting a little things are starting to come into a little little sharper focus for us uh, across the Big Ten. And I tell you what, this weekend shapes up as a big one, obviously. But you know what? The, I guess the, the continuing struggles of Michigan and what we saw Penn State do then this last weekend that obviously was the headline, guys. Um, Penn State looks awfully good, fellas. Uh, offense, defense, special teams. Uh, again, they, they, James Franklin has his team dialed in. Saquon Barkley, maybe maybe it's an overstatement, maybe it's not, but i got to think he's got to be the clear Heisman frontrunner right now. So I think that was the biggest storyline anybody has to take from the Big Ten last weekend. Yeah, how about you, Chris? Uh, we'll open it up to a national scope. Feel free to lump the Big Ten in there as well. But what are some things that jumped out to you from Week 8 in college football? Well, I think Saquon Barkley, obviously, as Tom alluded to, like to me, he can actually now be the Eisen frontrunner. Going into the game against Michigan, everybody was putting him up there. Everybody had him on this pedestal and, you know, Saquon this and Saquon that. And I said, hold on, guys. Like, he's done it against Akron and Pitt and Indiana and all these, you know, average teams at best. Let's see him do it against somebody of substance. Well, he did. And he did it against Dan Brown's defense. And Dan Brown's defense looked average as the day is long, which is shocking against Penn State and against McSorley and against Saquon Barkley. So to me, I'm 100% happy with him now being Heisman favorite. I'm 100% happy with Penn State being the favorite in the Big Ten. So that was clearly one of the biggest storylines of the weekend. Another national storyline, and I was actually at the game in South Bend, 
was Notre Dame just taking USC to the woodshed, you know, beating them 49 to 14. That game uh, got pretty much, it was pretty much in hand for Notre Dame after the first half. I mean, it wasn't even competitive. Their defense has been so good this year with Mike Elko now as their defensive coordinator. And if you remember, they were a disaster before with Brian Van Gorder uh, running that side of the football. And he was fired actually during the year last year. They've got that fixed. To me, they've got a guy that I actually favor to win the Heisman in Josh Adams out of the uh, backfield there, the running back for Notre Dame. I know Saquon's the favorite right now. I just have a feeling he gets derailed against Ohio State this weekend. I don't know why. I just do. I think Ohio State's out for blood. And with Josh um, Adams playing against teams like Miami and NC State, moving forward, Stanford, I think he's got a big chance to showcase his abilities on a national stage, plus he's the running back for Notre Dame. So I think that gives him a little extra umph in the Heisman stuff. But I thought those were the two biggest things coming out of the weekend with the way Notre Dame dominated USC and the way Penn State was able to dominate Michigan. Yeah, when Michigan State lost to Notre Dame a few weeks back, they really got smoked by him. And, and yeah. you know, everyone kind of thought, oh, maybe Michigan State uh, is reverting back to last year's form. But, I mean, Notre Dame's rolled since then, and they're looking like a playoff contender. And yep. Michigan State has, hasn't really broken stride either, aside from that game. So uh, I think both teams are clearly having turnaround seasons. And let's get back to Saquon Barkley a, a little bit if we can. Um, yeah. I mean, like you guys mentioned, if, it, if, if possible, like that game elevated him even to a, uh, a higher place in that Heisman hemisphere. He had three total touchdowns, 160 yards uh, rushing and receiving combined. And um, most years he'd probably be far and away the uh, – Heisman uh, favorite, at, at least in the running back position. And, and you mentioned Adams and, and Notre Dame. Um, there's also Bryce Love out of Stanford, uh, who's kind of like mm-hmm. the Barry Sanders out west. He's averaging 10.3 yards a carry and, and positioning himself alongside Barkley. And, and like you said, Chris, Adams is a contender to win that Heisman trophy. So can you just compare those uh, those backs, if you, if you could, and why you think – I know you mentioned Adams is, is your favorite, but why you think they have the edge – or why he has the edge and um, – why he might be more favored to win over Barkley and Love? Yeah, I, I would be shocked to see Love win the Heisman, and I think he's fabulous. I do. I think he's absolutely fantastic. He's averaging over 10 yards per carry. He's got nearly 1,400 yards. He does so many great things for Stanford, and I under, and, and I love him. I think he's fantastic, and I think he, if he's in any other league, he's got a shot. But here's the thing. A, Stanford's a two-loss team. And B, they haven't played one game this year uh, in primetime TV. Like, nobody's seen Bryce Love. We know the name, but you don't really know anything about him. And what's crazy is that the Pac-12 has kind of hijacked their highlights. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Coach Newheisel pointed this out to me today, that they actually require networks to pay to use their highlights. Networks are not wanting to do it. I guess it's kind of a money grab by the Pac-12, so nobody's even seeing the highlights of Bryce Love. So he's a name with staff, but nobody really knows. I bet you if he walked, I'll say this. I bet you if Bryce Love walked it, walked down the street and passed a group of the average college football fans on the East Coast, nobody would know who he is. I guarantee you if Saquon Barkley did that, it's a whole different story. And Stanford yeah, really. lost to San Diego State. I, you know, Stanford mm-hmm. lost to San Diego State, Tom, and I just don't think there's any way for them to kind of fix that as far as the Heisman's no. concerned and the playoff picture is concerned. So that's why I put Bryce behind the eight ball. He's just not visible. Mm-hmm. Saquon's in our face. Penn State's in our face. And Josh Adams is a guy that's in our face. But the guy to watch for nationally that's not getting talked about a lot yet 
that I think will is Damian Harris for Alabama. I really thought mm-hmm. Ghost Scarborough was going to be their guy this year. In fact, he was my preseason pick to win the Heisman Trophy. He's not even their top back. It's Damian Harris, and shame on me, because he was the top guy last year. I should have known better. I got too over uh, enamored with the size and physicality of both Scarborough, but Harris has been consistently good, so I think he puts himself squarely in that, in that conversation as well. And think about in November, all the attention, and there's going to be a lot of hype and praise coming Alabama's way, so I think that puts him in the mix too. Yeah, yeah guys, Scarborough. You know and, and you remember, remember the thing about Heisman Trophy moments too. I think Barkley had at least one last week with that bobbling touchdown catch in the second half. That was spectacular. Of course, the second play of the game, he ran 69 yards for a touchdown as well. Had the kickoff return for a TD this year. Storm for a touchdown pass as well. Leads the country in all-purpose yards. So he's been spectacular. And guys, quick, quick, quick trivia for you. Um, name me uh, the last two Heisman Trophy winning running backs. It's been a, it's been a quarterback dominant award. Yeah, Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram. Exactly right now, Chris. Name me yeah. the last Big Ten running back to win the Heisman Trophy. Oh boy! Uh, I'll be in the year nineteen nineteen ninety nine. It wasn't any George. Uh, Ron Dane. Ron Dane. So again, I guess my Ron point Dane. is quarterbacks quarterbacks typically win this thing. That's not saying the running back can't, but it's sort of been fascinating how the quarterbacks have really dominated this thing the last what seventeen eighteen years. Yeah, it's a quarterback award, and Tom, that kind of brings me to my next next question I had for you. Um, you know, this weekend provides a chance for for one guy to uh, kind of elevate his Heisman campaign, even though I know that's probably far from the uh, forefront of his mind and, and his team's goals, and that's JT Barrett, because JT <clears throat> Barrett was knocked down in that Oklahoma game, and now he's kind of starting to enter back into that Heisman conversation. I mean, his stats are ridiculous. He's got 21 touchdowns to just one interception, completing 67% of his passes, and he's going to be on a stage this weekend that, that you know, that it, it kind of puts him back in that conversation if he's able to, one, beat Penn State, and two, look good doing it so Tom which version of JT Barrett do you see showing up um, this weekend is it the one we saw against Oklahoma and, and on some other big stages or is it the JT Barrett we've seen mostly throughout his career and uh, these last six or seven weeks that's a good point Alex Barrett Barrett this definitely has a chance to uh, to get in this conversation he's in the room with these guys but like you said if he can orchestrate a win over the Nittany Lions Saturday I think, I think he has a chance really to become a strong contender for the award you know what? Um, I think we're going to see a strong JT Barrett. Um, ever since that Oklahoma game, the last five games, the stats are off the charts. I think he's hit over 70% of his pass. So I think he's got the confidence now. More importantly, he's got some, I think, big play options down the field. Paris Campbell, in particular, has developed a new threat for him. So, again, um, I think Barrett's coming this game with a lot of momentum, and I, I think we're going to see a good version of J.T. Barrett. He knows he's a senior. This is his last chance, and he realizes the opportunity that's at his feet here. Yeah, Chris, we're stepping back from the Big Ten bubble a little bit. I just want to get your national perspective on J.T. Barrett, because, you know, like, in the Big Ten, he's, he's kind of a controversial figure, you know, some Ohio State fans, um, you know, the blame lay at his feet uh, more than any other player, and he's been there forever, and he's the guy that never graduates. So, you know, he's, he's kind of that figure that uh, is, is controversial, and there's a lot of uh, takes thrown around about him. So what's the, what's the national perspective on JT Barrett, at least in your eyes? I think right now it's a very positive one. I mean, it wasn't after the Indiana game, and it certainly wasn't after the Oklahoma game. And, you know, everybody was calling for a quarterback change. And, and you know, you, you guys 
I'm sure talked about it a ton, what was going on there with the lack of the passing game. But I think right now it's very positive. He's put up great numbers since Oklahoma now, albeit against lesser competition, certainly. But when your completion percentage is in the 70s since Oklahoma, you're doing something right. And what that tells me is that things are starting to come together in a big way between him and Kevin Wilson. They're on the same page. Barrett understands where Kevin Wilson's expectations are, and things are starting to take off. Now, for J.C. Barrett to really be in the good graces of the Heisman voters, do it against Penn State. Penn Mm -hmm. State right now is one of the top ten defenses in college football. I think statistically they're number one in scoring defense. I think they took that mantle from – I think it might have been Michigan or somebody. uh, They took it from last week, but – Penn State's defense has been great. It's kind of funny to me, too, uh, when it comes to Penn State's defense, because nationally, I think when people talk Penn State, they mention one name first. It's Saquon Barkley. They mention a name second. That's Trace McSorley. The third guy that gets mentioned is Joe Moorhead. Offense, offense, offense. Oh, hey, by the way, guys, Brent Pry has the number one defense in the country, in case you didn't notice. I know the offense has been a hell of a story, the last two years from what it used to be with no offensive line and Christian Hackenberg and all that kind of stuff. But Brent Pride's defense has been off the charts. And I think for Barrett to really convince a lot of college football people that he has progressed, that he is the real deal, that he is the quarterback that we saw a couple of years ago when he was first in the Heisman conversation the year they won the national title, then I think you've got to have a big game against Penn State. Yeah. yeah, like you said, I mean, they're not, you know, they don't get all the shine, but they got some dogs on that defense. You know, they got Jason Cabinda, Marcus Allen, and those guys. So, uh, you're right. I mean, if, if Barrett can, can perform against them, I think he'll be elevated even further into that conversation. And we'll keep breaking down uh, Penn State, Ohio State, and really get into the nitty-gritty of that game in a little bit. But um, I wanted to get to another segment we do each week, and it's taking a look at whose stock is sliding and whose is soaring. So, uh, we'll have Tom give us his in-conference take on that, and we'll start with you, Tom. Uh We'll start with whose stock is soaring in the Big Ten, then give me one whose uh, stock is sliding. Well, obviously, we talked about Penn State quite a bit. There. Their stock continues to soar. Um, but I'm going to go with, uh, or I say, uh, I'm just going to throw some love at Wisconsin's feet. Um, it's easy to get wrapped up in Ohio State and Penn State for obvious reasons. Here, here meanwhile, out in Madison, Wisconsin, Paul Christ has his 7 and 0 team for the first time since 2004. And they're playing awfully well, guys. Um, again, you talk about defense. Look at the numbers for Wisconsin's defense and their coordinator, Jim Leonard. It's off the mm-hmm. charts. And I keep looking. I can't find a real weakness on that defense at all. Even offensively, guys, it's a vintage Wisconsin line. Um, they have their best set of pass catchers they've had in probably 10 years. So the Jazz Peavy's been banged up, and so is Troy Fumagalli. But still, when they're healthy, they got some good pass catchers. We know about the freshman sensation running back, Jonathan Taylor. And then you have sophomore quarterback, Alex Hornerbrook. So, guys, um, I don't know who's going to beat this team. Iowa and Michigan are still on their schedule, but they're not going to be the match. I think, again, the batters continue to soar, and they're awfully impressive. How about sliding, Tom? You know what? I'm going to go with Iowa. Um, I really thought maybe they could push Wisconsin for that West Division title this year. Uh, they're 1-3 now in the Big Ten, guys, and the only win in the Big Ten is against Illinois and Iowa City. Um, their defense has done fine. It's been the offense that's really hampered them this year. Uh, they lost their offensive tackles to injury. was hurt, obviously. They got a couple freshmen. They can't run the ball, and we know that's what Kirk Ferentz likes to do. 
And consequently, again, that offense, the numbers are horrific. And, uh, again, uh, that's a team that may possibly start to even make a bowl game this year. Yeah, and before we move on to uh, Chris's take, Tom, i got to ask, what's happening to Purdue, man? I mean, they, they, they look like they're in it against Wisconsin, yeah. and uh, they went down in that game, and then they took the L against Rutgers. So, so what's yeah. the deal? If, if you look at the numbers, you know, if, if you just look at the stats, you say, my God, Purdue won this game, right? 480 yards rushing, I think, almost 300 yards. I mean, 480 yards total offense, almost 300 yards rushing. On and on it goes. You know, you win the stat sheet, you lose the scoreboard. Um, they struggle to run the football in the red zone. Uh, and again, uh, the, the, the lack of playmakers, a wide receiver, really continues to hit them. A lot, a lot of drop passes. So it is what it is. The fascinating thing now, what I always like to see in life, is what happens now that you've been hitting the nose, you have some adversity. How are you going to respond? So uh, not that anybody cares, but <laughs> the Nebraska at Purdue game, two teams desperate for wins, um, probably more so in Nebraska. It's going to be interesting to see uh, – how both those teams respond in uh, a game that they, they probably need to win if they want. Any chance to make a bowl game this year. All right, yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll throw it over to you, Chris. Um, we'll open up to a national scale. Let's get your, your take on whose stock is soaring and then who's sliding nationally. I think Notre Dame's stock is soaring right now, and nobody thought it was going to happen this year, honestly. Like, you look at Brian Kelly, he had to make some big staff changes. Brian Van Gorder, he's fired as defensive coordinator midway through a disastrous 2016 year when they went 4-8. and eight. And then on offense, you know, you look at last year, they can never find a rhythm offensively. And Mike Sanford, he left, take the head coaching job at Western Kentucky. And then Mike uh, Denbrock went to Cincinnati to take a job uh, with that coaching staff. So it was starting over for Brian Kelly, new quarterback, Brandon Winbush. We had no idea what he was going to be. Two new coordinators, and oftentimes if you're starting over, and you guys have known this, and Tom, you've covered college football a gazillion years, you know that typically when that happens, when you're changing both coordinators and a quarterback and you're on the hot seat, I would say 99.9% of the time it's a disaster and it goes south. Well, this is the 0.1% where it's gone the other direction, and the Mike Elko hire who was at Wake Forest before on defense, seems to be, to me, the best hire of the offseason for any college football program in the country. And I actually talked to Brian Kelly about it last week, and Brian Kelly said he was enamored with Elko because he had faced him before, and he said that guy did the best job of making me uncomfortable, of taking us out of what we do well and just making us get uncomfortable. And he's like, if I can get that guy to do that to my opponents, we're going to be in good shape. And look at Notre Dame right now, top 15, I think, in a scoring defense. So they've really come a long way on that side of the football. And then you see the development of the young quarterback, Brandon Winbush. Josh Adams has emerged as a legitimate Heisman guy. The offensive line has been significantly better. There's just a lot to like about Notre Dame. And Notre Dame has one of the most important games of the weekend coming up against uh, NC State, which to me, besides Penn State, Ohio State, is the best game of the weekend. So that's Notre Dame. I'll give you another team whose stock is up, not a playoff contender, but one where I'm like, wow, what a job they've done in the season to fix some issues. And that's got to be a team from the ACC named Boston College. Boston College is all of a sudden 500. Look at the last two games. They beat Louisville on the road two weeks ago by scoring over 40. 
And I was like, what is happening? Like, I'm not ready for this to be a reality. <laughs> and the next week, they do it again in Charlottesville in school over 40 and win by 31 against the Virginia team that was smoking hot going in. So I think Adazio, with what they've been able to figure out offensively in the season, has been huge. And that was the guy that had some hot seat discussion that I think now that has significantly cooled off with back-to-back road wins in the ACC. So that's a guy. And then as far as stop down, you know, I'm going to go with Notre Dame's opponent last week in USC. I mean, USC had so many big expectations in the preseason, preseason top four. Sam Darnold, their quarterback, was the preseason favorite, according to Vegas, to win the Heisman Trophy. And if you look at them this year, they're sitting with a couple of losses. They just got whacked by Notre Dame. The offense creates, or they they, uh, give the ball away way too often, way too many turnovers. I think Darnold's interception number is at 10 or something like that. He had eight all of last season. He's been fumbling a lot. There's just not a lot to like about SC. Their defense is beat to heck. I mean, injuries all over the place, especially up front, which is why Adams and Winbush had so much success running the football last weekend. Notre Dame was able to impose its will up front. But I think SC, with all the expectations and all the excitement and all that, I think they've been one of the most disappointing teams in college football. Yeah, coming out of that Rose Bowl. Hey, real uh, quick, guys. Hey, 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 just, just real quick. Real quick. i got to throw out one quick shout-out. Yeah, Iowa State, yeah. the Iowa State Cyclones, buddy. Iowa Matt State Campbell, yeah. This week, and he talked. He talked about some of the kind of fun games: NC State, Notre Dame, Penn State, Ohio State, Iowa State, TCU. Matt Campbell, five and two. They're ranked for the first time since two thousand five. That guy's as hot as a gift as far as young head coach. Totally yeah, agree. Be, that'll be a good one. And uh, I, I was saying, I mean, out of that Rose Bowl, it seemed like both teams last year, Penn State and USC, expectations were sky high, and. Um, you know, Darnold had the Heisman hype around him, and Penn State's just, you know, kept soaring, and USC's kind of hit the skids a little bit. Um, I want to give a shout-out also. I know we brought him up briefly a few minutes ago, but shout-out to Rutgers for winning two straight Big Ten games. I know it was over Illinois and Purdue, but, I mean, when you uh, when you haven't won a Big Ten game in two years, and I think it might be their first back-to-back Big Ten wins. I'm not sure on that, but you'll take the wins where you can get them if you're Rutgers. So shout-out to them. And, um, hey, real quick, guy, real quick, guys. Yeah. Iowa and the Rutgers in Michigan have the same record in the Big Ten. How about that? <laughs> wow. Tom, Tom, I'm glad you brought up Michigan because uh, that was the subject of my next question. Chris, I, I wanted to get a, uh, another zoomed-out national look at a uh, Big Ten hot topic, and that's uh, that's Jim Harbaugh in the state of Michigan right now because Jim Harbaugh is one of those you know, five or six college coaches that no matter what is going to get talked about on, on the national radio shows like yours and on mm-hmm. First Take and Undisputed. And, and a lot of that's because of the self-generated hype and the self-promotion. And a lot of that's because of the platform that Michigan has. Um, but the bottom line is people who otherwise wouldn't care about you know teams' results will, will maybe revel in the failure a little bit more. So do you think their shortcomings this season and the struggles they're going through right now are being blown out of proportion be, because of that kind of – Harbaugh factor and the platform that, that Michigan's on now, or, or do you think there's a legit concern here with where that program is going under him? No, I think the first thing you said is dead on. In fact, this Michigan team I see is what I expected in the summertime. When you lose that much talent to the National Football League and you have to play that many unproven guys on both sides of the football, you're going to have growing pains. And to me, like, Michigan's still probably an eight-win type of team. I mean, there's no shame in that when you 
lose, how many was it, 17 starters or something absurd uh, to the next level? This is going to happen. There's going to be some growing pains. Now, I think it's going to pay off big down the road. There's a lot of guys that are getting experience that I think you might not see the results now. Next year, the year after that, I think you're going to see this Michigan team back to where they were the first couple of years competing uh, at the top of the Big Ten for championships and possibly spots in the college football playoff. I just think, you know, haters are going to hate. We see these people, we deal with them all the time, and they are reveling in this because there are a lot of people that just despise Jim Harbaugh. And I get it. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is not for everybody. He's one of those guys, if you got on your side, you probably like him. If not, you probably hate the guy. But he draws a lot of attention to himself, you know, taking his team to Rome, going to IMG, climbing up trees for recruits, having sleepovers, all that stuff that's made Jim Harbaugh what he is. But it's also increased the Michigan brand. To me, it significantly helped recruiting. And because of that help in recruiting, I think you're going to see Michigan bounce back really easily. And if you want um, evidence of teams that can bounce back after having a down year to show Michigan fans how it can be done, look at the Notre Dame team I've talked about. Go look at TCU, who's right now number four in the country. That was a 500 team last year. So a lot of times, if you just don't have a quarterback or, you know, you got some injuries or whatever, things can go south. In Michigan's case, there's just not a lot of proven experience. I think in time, it's going to come together. I understand the haters coming out in force, but here's the thing. They better enjoy it now because I'm telling you, Jim's going to get it fixed, and what he does, he's not going away. That guy's going to be competing for Big Ten championships. There's too much talent, high-end talent, for them to stay this inept offensively for too long, so I think he's going to get a fix. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think the uh, dancing on the grave is, is very premature and one hundred percent. And I think Michigan is kind of a victim of their own success. You know, having the defense that was, yeah. you know, number one overall in total defense in the country. Now losing a couple games, it's kind of sent some corners of uh, the national and local fan base into you know a little bit of a tizzy, but. I think they'll be fine. I think, like you said, it'll pay off down the road. Um, we will get to now moving on uh, to a fan question for you, Chris, that we uh, prompted earlier this morning uh, to the Twitter masses, and um, I'll read it off to you here. And it's a fun one, depending on which team you root for. It's from uh, at at Jules twenty four. Uh, how many rushing yards do you think Jonathan Taylor could run for this weekend against Illinois if he really wanted to? Oh, probably three hundred. I mean, I'll say 300 conservatively if he really wanted to. I mean, we've seen these guys go over 200 on a pretty regular basis, right? And Illinois is yeah. atrocious. You know, there, there's a guy, uh, Tom, that's a common friend of ours, Mike Hugan, and, uh, that works for gridironnow.com, that has wonderful ways of talking about bad teams, rancid, <laughs> awful, atrocious, <laughs> all of that stuff, right? We call them the Huganisms. Uh, he's oh, yeah. used every one of those to talk about Lovey Smith's team. Well, you could say the opposite about Wisconsin and Jonathan Taylor. And uh, I was kind of bummed that Taylor only had like 126 or something like that against uh, Maryland last weekend because he's been so consistently getting over 200. But I think if he wanted to, he could go over 300 against Illinois because Illinois is brutally bad. Yeah, I think Taylor's going to have a big day. I'm going to stand up for Illinois, my, my alma mater, though, because they are playing – so many freshmen right now, and somebody's got to do are. it. Somebody's got to do it. You know, like I, I'll take the heat off Illinois a little bit just because they're going full teardown, rebu- rebuild mode, and there's going to be some ugly Saturdays like we'll probably see this weekend against Wisconsin. I think Taylor's going to go off, and I think uh, they're going to get pushed around 
like we all expect. Um, all right, moving on. And uh, Chris, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you were able to tell it like it is. We'll see if he can get get to 300 yards. I think I think he'll go two. 260 against the Illini on Saturday, but uh, but we'll yeah. see. Um, we'll move on now to uh, some college football playoff talk and projections because we've got the rankings coming out next week on Halloween night. And, um, I mean, with this Penn State-Ohio State matchup, uh, it's almost certain that only one of them, if, if one of them makes it, the only one will be in the top four. But uh, since we're talking about Wisconsin, we'll stick with them. Wisconsin will likely be knocking on the door uh, depending on how things play out. So... Is the only scenario uh, – I'm going to ask this of you, Tom. Is the only scenario Tom, uh, that Wisconsin has to get in the college football playoff if they uh, run the table and go undefeated, including that Big Ten championship game? Because, you know, the schedule is, is not the toughest. It's not the mm-hmm. most daunting. And if they lose that Big Ten championship game, they're probably going to find themselves in a New Year's Six Bowl but not a uh, college football playoff uh, bowl. So do you think they have to go undefeated, Tom? Yeah, I think they got to run the table. No, no big revelation there. You looked at the non-conference schedule for Wisconsin. No real meat there. You know, they played at BYU, but BYU was awful this year. And uh, again, within the conference, guys, um, you know, there's not a lot of heavy lifting that's going to augment their resume either. I talked about a game with Michigan coming up in November, but um, you know, Michigan's not going to enhance your resume that much either. So. Yeah, Alex, I think they're going to have to you know, go 12-0 and then go to Indianapolis in early December. And then, of course, if you knock off an unbeaten Penn State or Ohio State, you know, that could be your magic pill that, that, that elevates uh, Wisconsin to playoffs. And so, again, without a doubt, an unbeaten Big Ten champion is going to get a spot in the playoffs. And that's really Wisconsin's only hope. Yeah, and this weekend's going to go a long way toward determining uh, which Big Ten team gets in. Um, and... Uh, you know, if Wisconsin somehow runs the table, then maybe they can get two Big Ten teams in, but I don't really see any other way. Um, Chris, I'm going to list some non-Big Ten teams that are uh, most likely to get in other than Georgia and Alabama, which it looks like one of those teams are going to get in almost for certain. But I'm going to list some other teams, and it includes some one-loss teams and, and some uh, some teams that will probably have to run the table to get in. I want you to tell me which are which you believe are for real and will, uh, will be still standing about a month from now. Um, okay. Clemson with the one loss. Uh, TCU undefeated, but they'll probably have to run the table. Know you're a big fan of Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Miami. And if there's any other teams that are outside of those that you think could maybe make the playoff, feel free to toss them in. But but which team do you like outside of Georgia, Alabama, and then the, then Penn State and Ohio State? Which team do you like to uh, sneak into the top four? I like TCU a lot. I think TCU's, in fact, if I was on the committee – I probably have them ranked number one right now just based on quality of wins. They have a win mm-hmm. over a top-ten team on the road, which is impressive. Plus, they've beaten West Virginia. And I think they've got the makings to, to get to go through the whole season and be in the playoff. I love the defense. I've always loved Gary Patterson's defenses. But how about the development of Kenny Hill? I mean, Kenny Hill has become a proven leader and playmaker quarterback for TCU. And i, I got to be honest, there were times in his career, specifically last year, I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think the guy possessed the skill set to do that. I was wrong. So I really like TCU. Um, I Clemson, to me, I'm actually worried about Clemson this weekend. I wouldn't be shocked if they lose to Georgia Tech. They're at home, which is good. I love their defense, and they're coming off a bye, which helps when you play when you take on the triple option in Georgia Tech to have the extra week, but 
everybody's saying Kelly Bryant isn't even close to being 100%, and we know that he had concussion-like symptoms. He's been cleared, but he had concussion-like symptoms against Syracuse. Plus, if you watched him, that ankle was far from healthy in that upset loss to Syracuse. And that, to me, is what got them beat. Now, if he's hobbling around against Georgia Tech, I think they lose. I, I just If he's not 100% or even 80% um, at that point, I think they lose. And he looked about 50% two weeks ago when they lost to Syracuse. And then he had to get yanked out of the game after he got popped because he couldn't move around. And that's what he does. I mean, he's a mobile guy that makes things happen with his legs. If his legs can't do that, I think they're in harm's way. So they kind of bug me a little bit. Miami, too much skin of the teeth against average teams. Florida State, you know, having to have the last second. You know, that's a four-loss Florida State. You know, the last second touchdown, Georgia Tech, uh, heroics. I think a heroics late there. I think eventually that bites them. I just don't think they're good enough to be a playoff team, and if they do get in, I think they'd get just you know blown out of the building, whatever semifinal game they were in. Uh, who else did you mention? Notre Dame I really like. I think there's longevity there if they continue to play defense like that. And who was the other team you threw out? I think that was Oklahoma, it. I think you touched on all of them. Oh, Oklahoma. Yeah, Sooners. Yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah. What you know, they're so big 12 so to me. I know they won it. <laughs> I know they beat Ohio State on the road, and that was great. But then they putz around Baylor and teams like that. I think Oklahoma State's going to get Iowa them. Iowa State week. loss. Yeah, Iowa State loss certainly certainly hurts them. So I'm not sure I trust them. I do like two teams potentially getting in from the SEC. I do. I know people hate that, and it's not a great year for the SEC by any means, but Bama's Bama. And I've seen Georgia with my own two eyes in person. And guys, they're so good up front. I mean, when you have an offensive and defensive line that's that good, plus running backs like Michelle and Chubb, and a defense that'll shut you down, I mean, that's, I'm telling you, like, that's, that's a lot to deal with. That's a lot to deal with. Oh, yeah, I think it's very possible both get in if, if you know, it's a close SEC championship game, comes down to couple of points here or there, you know, then both teams I could see easily getting in. Because um, they've seen, yeah, both those teams have seen above and beyond. Again, no, no conference has gotten two teams in yet, right? No, not, so. yet. Yeah. no. not yet. So but, again, Tom, the think about it. Pac-12. Like, well, Pac-12 looks to be in harm's way, Tommy. And then if Clemson loses in the ACC, yeah. couldn't you see that get a little nasty? Like, I could see it oh, happen. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. We, we could get that presence at this. And I agree with you, Chris and Alex. You know, boy, Georgia, Alabama, um, you know, uh, if each of those teams goes or arrives in Atlanta unbeaten, as long as it's a close game, um, it'd be hard to keep both of them out, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, like I said, that circus is starting next week and all the hype machine that uh, goes along with it with those rankings coming out on Halloween so uh, that'll just be another thing to pay attention to week by week here as we uh, get closer to the uh, the end of the season. Um, so now we'll look ahead to week nine specifically. And, of course, uh, we're going to go heavy on the Ohio State-Penn State coverage. It's number two versus number six. It's uh, by far the biggest game in, in college football this weekend. College game day is going to be there. More importantly, the BTN tailgate show is going to be there. And the uh, Fox crew with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt will be there calling the game as well. So, you can't get much bigger than all of that, and we've mentioned it. Ohio State needs to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. 
Penn State can't really afford to lose either. So, um, Chris, I, I'll start with you. What do you think Ohio State has to do on, on both sides of the ball, really, that they weren't able to do against Oklahoma? Because they were pretty much, you know, dominated in that game. It, it wasn't really close. And they gave up 31 points, and JT Barrett and, and that passing game was non-existent. So what do they have to do to be successful against Penn State? And do you believe they will be? Do you think they'll, uh, they'll pull it out? I, I do. I, I actually think Penn State is walking into a hornet's nest this weekend. I really do. And I look, I buy Penn State. I'm in love with Penn State. I buy James Franklin. I All of that, okay? like So this is not me in any way, shape, or form taking one single thing away from Penn State. And man, oh, man, were they impressive last weekend. But Ohio State, mm-hmm. having lost already, understanding what this means, the games at the shoe, they lost to Penn State last year. They didn't win the Big Ten Championship because of Penn State last year. I just think there's too much working in favor of Ohio State. I think they got to keep them honest. J.K. Dobbins has to run well. J.K. Barrett's got to do things on the ground and open things up for the passing game. But I think we've seen enough as far as rhythm between Barrett and his wide receivers to think that it's a possibility that it can take off and then it can happen against the Penn State defense. That's been really, really good all year. I like Ohio State. I just think at home, with everything I just laid out, I think it's going to be too much for Penn State to overcome. And it will be too much for any team in college football to overcome, quite frankly. Tom, do you think uh, the Penn State office, offense is going to miss a beat? I mean, they've been so dominant, but we did see them struggle against Iowa. I mean, they scored, what was it, 20 points yeah. against Iowa, barely came away with that win, so... Do you think we see that Penn State, or do you think we see more of the version that we've seen almost every other week where they, you know, get off to an, really a blistering start and just keep rolling? And you're not going to shut down that Penn State offense, but you can mute it. Like you said, Alex, that we saw that happen in Iowa City against a pretty good Hawkeye defense. And even go back to when Indiana went to State College, Indiana, you know, kind of clamped that down for, for at least a couple quarters. So we've seen this Penn State offense sort of uh, get sluggish at times. I'm still always not 100% sold on their offensive line. I'll tell you what, guys, how are they going to contend with what may be the best defensive line in college football that Ohio State possessed, led by Larry Johnson, D-line coach. So, again, I'm like Chris. I picked Ohio State on my on my on, on the website picks this, this weekend, and I think, you know, Chris summed it up well there. Um, the big key is going to be the Ohio State offense. Can they generate enough points against that Penn State defense? And, again, all eyes will be on Barrett. We know that Penn State's probably going to sell out, try to shut down or at least slow down the Ohio State running game and try to make Barrett throw the ball to beat him. Can that happen? I guess I'm betting that, yes, it can happen. Um, five weeks to prep for this thing, guys. Remember, Ohio State was off last week. They've had two weeks to prep, and I think I saw a stat that they were Urban Meyer. I think it's like 21-1 coming off bye week. So, uh I expect the Buckeyes to find a way to scratch out a win. All right, guys, there's one more kind of topic I want to touch on regarding this game before we move on, and that's the so-called revenge factor. And, Chris, I want to ask you, like, if this really matters in college football, because we saw Penn State, quote, get revenge on Michigan last week for the 49-10 to beatdown they took last season. But, I mean, Penn State was clearly the better team there, so, so you don't know if that's, like, that's really a thing that was going on. Like, is, is there really extra motivation here for, for – uh, like coming from last year's Penn State win over over Ohio State, because if you look at Urban Meyer's press conference this week, he said, "Oh hell yeah, there's motivation, especially when you know like trying to motivate college students." But 
Chris, when you have two teams with as much talent as these two do, like is is motivation really going to make any difference? Is that even a real thing, or is that just a nice talking point for people and coaches leading up to a big game? You know, I I, I heard Urban say that, but here's the thing: if any team has a reason to be upset at the other one, it's Penn State. Ohio State was in the Fiesta Bowl. Penn State wasn't. Okay, and James Franklin has mm-hmm. talked about that all summer long. They won the Big Ten. They beat them head-to-head. They should have been in the college football playoff. And quite frankly, I agree with James. I do. I think Penn State should have been. I said it at the time last year. If anybody should be upset, if anybody should be motivated to make another statement, I think it's the road team in this game. I mean, I understand Urban Meyer's team got beat by them last year, but it didn't hurt them. They, they, in fact, they got to sit out that, that, that week in December when everybody else was playing the championship games and they had extra time to get all nice and laddered up before they played Clemson. Now, apparently the extra time didn't do them any favors because Clemson beat them down 31 <laughs> to nothing. But it looked like an advantage for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Penn State certainly didn't get that. Uh, so I think if anybody's got a chip on their shoulder, if anybody's got something to prove, I think it's James Franklin and Penn State. I think they can use it as motivation. There you go, flip it around on him. I like it, like a job interview. Yeah, you just yeah. flip it. All right. Um, <laughs> Get Chris in that locker room on Saturday. Get Chris in the locker room on Saturday with Franklin there. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we got to talk some of the other games in the Big Ten briefly. I know none of them really measure up to the magnitude of what's going to go down in Columbus, but uh, there is another undefeated team in the East out there. A team we talked about earlier risen all the way to number 16 in the top 25 poll, and that's Michigan State. They're taking on the Wildcats in Northwestern, who who came off a. Uh, Solid win over Iowa this past weekend. So, Tom, what do you make of Michigan State? I mean, like, is there any chance that they can, you know, keep this going? And then when they, you know, when it comes down to it, to to play the big dogs in the in the East, they can rise to the challenge. Or do you think this is, you know, more of a nice bounce back year for them, uh, especially coming off last season, the three and nine year? I wouldn't be shocked if they got beat Saturday in Evanston. Honestly. Um, <clears throat> Again, I, I do like the Michigan State defense a lot. I think it's legit, though. Uh, but, again, that offense, I still have a hard time getting my, my arms around that offense and embracing it. Um, Lenny Ludwig, to reference Chris, the 1983 Chicago White Sox. <laughs> yeah, I tell yeah. you what, that's what, that's what Michigan State does, you know. <laughs> Brian Wirtz does just enough as, as a runner and a passer. L.J. Scott, he's been about as inconsistent as you can get. A lot of issues from him in football this year, although he did come to life last week. Felton Davis, the third's coming on a wide out. But, again, um, that offense, there's, there's not a lot there for me. I think, again, the ENF's going to be the run doing. And Northwestern's kind of been up and down, too, this year. But, again, they're in Evanston. Um, they're coming off a nice overtime win against Iowa. We know about the playmakers they've got, and Jackson and, and Thorson. Um, and the defense, guys, Northwestern's defense isn't too bad. So this could be a low-scoring game that goes in the fourth quarter. And, again, I would be shocked if maybe the Wildcats can, can pull the stunner here. All right, Chris, moving out of conference now, uh, we talked about these games for a little bit earlier, a couple of top 25 matchups that uh, do have college football playoff implications. That's TCU, Iowa State, and NC State, Notre Dame. And uh, one other cool thing about all these big games this weekend is that they're all pretty much kicking off at uh, in the afternoon at 3.30 Eastern time. So that's kind of like a cool yeah, wrinkle from a, from a bygone era, right? Isn't that, that's that's kind of cool. So. Um. I hate it. <laughs> I don't think it's cool at all. I want to watch all of them. I hate it. There's four games at 
that are super sexy. Because you, you've got TCU in Iowa State, you've got Penn State, uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame, NC State. Then the cocktail party uh, between Georgia and Florida is also at 3.30 on CBS. So I, I'm going to feel like the exorcist like at 3.30. <laughs> my head's going to be spinning around trying to watch all those games. Think, think of it this way, though. You got That means you got Saturday night off. It's Halloween weekend. You know, you can... Yeah, you can, you can do whatever you're going to do Saturday night. Get all the games out of the way in the afternoon. Valid point. You know what? <laughs> I like where your head's at. That's a good strategy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, Chris, the question I was going to get to out of that was, uh, which do you see? Which which team do you see more likely to take an L this weekend? Uh, Notre Dame against NC State or the Horn Frogs against Iowa State? I would say the Horn Frogs, even though I see Notre Dame losing. I mean, if, here, here's why. NC State's good. NC State's got a great defense, and they got probably the best player in the country on that defense in Bradley Chubb. I think what plays into their favor is the fact that they're coming off a bye. You know, they've had a chance to rest up for Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is coming off the emotional high of crushing SC. So that could be a little bit scary. But, I mean, going back to the other game, though, I think if anybody's going to lose, even though I would pick TCU to win, I could see it be them. You know, we've seen Oklahoma go down at Jack Trice Stadium in Ames. We saw that happen already. There's tangible evidence they can take down a top-five team at home. Uh, This Kyle Kemp kid, the quarterback for Iowa State, has become one of the great stories in college football. It is unbelievable. He did not start off the year as the starter. Uh, The other kid, I think, left for personal reasons or something like that. And Kemp gets thrown in. And his first start, yeah, the first start was Oklahoma, and he wins that game. And then he played, and then he wins the next one. And then he played unbelievable last week uh, against Texas Tech, and they were phenomenal on the road. And Kyle Kemp, I think, is like a sixty-nine percent passer. With I forget the TD to interception ratio, but it's something phenomenal the way he's been commanding the offense. That's such a cool story. The game's at home. It's in Ames. Jack Trice, the ranked in the top twenty-five. It's probably the biggest Iowa State home game since they beat Oklahoma State. I knocked them out of the BCF championship when Whedon was the quarterback. So I, it's been a while since that happened. So I got to think with all the momentum, TCU is the most likely to go down uh, against Iowa State this weekend. All right, that's a perfect transition. Boy, Chris, Chris, you, Chris, you, yeah, Chris, you make me want to get in my car and drive to Ames this weekend, buddy. Wouldn't that be? You should go. I mean, that place is going to be rocking, dude. I know it's not. I know you're not going to get paid for it. And, I mean, look, we all, all right. we always want to get paid to go watch games. We got the greatest job in the world. But take one for the team and get your butt to that game. It's going to be awesome. Tom, that's only six. Yeah, I know, great stories. That's only six hours yeah, or so, right? No, you can. <laughs> hey, part for you, Alex. No, not at all. That's put in the too, uh, put in the podcast and uh, you know listen to six or seven episodes. You're there, easy. Um, that's also though a perfect transition into to my. Final question slash segment for us before we wrap up here. Uh, we yeah. do it every week. It's called the uh, the one big moment, the unique or cool moment you saw from uh, the previous week or, or something recently in college football. And mine, I'll go ahead and start. Mine is um, Iowa State's Twitter account responding to a Kirk Herbstreet tweet. And Iowa State's done a few cool things on social media that I've liked this year. So shout out to them. They got a they got it figured out in the social media department. And um, essentially, Kirk Herbstreet tweeted recently, I think last weekend, that other big programs, pretty much the obvious obvious uh, fact that other big programs are going to be sniffing around Cyclones head coach Matt Campbell. And the Iowa State Twitter account responded directly to Herbstreet saying, 
no, please don't do that. And, and being a guy like myself who does social media for a living, I love when schools have fun and, and you know, don't take coaching speculation, which is a, a subject that most schools are probably going to avoid, like the plague, at least from their official channels. They don't take it too seriously. And Iowa State's football program is clearly loose enough where a small thing like that is fair game to poke fun at. So I love that. I love seeing them respond directly to, to those coaching rumors because they probably know exactly what's going to happen here. If not this offseason, then then fairly soon to Matt Campbell if he decides to leave. So that's that's my big moment for the weekend. Uh, Tom, we'll go to you next. Do you see anything cool or unique this past week just, or, uh, just, or two just, weeks just in college football? Things, uh, go ahead. You know, uh, I always kind of like the off-the-map, off-the-radar college football programs. And how about going flip it real quick down to Sunshine State? Forget about Florida State. Forget about Florida. How about the South Florida Bulls? How about yeah. the Nights, guys? Unbeaten, combined 13-0. and And then from a negative standpoint, this really caught my eye. We're talking about TCU a lot, guys, right? They played Kansas last weekend. They, <laughs> this is almost unbelievable. They held Kansas to 21 yards of offense last week. The poor Jayhawks. So, again, um, <laughs> I never thought I'd see teams get that few yards in the game. But, again, uh, those are a couple of things that have caught my eye recently. Yeah, I don't feel bad for Kansas fans at all because they got a basketball season coming up in about two weeks. So, uh, it's hard to have too much sympathy <laughs> for them. Uh, Chris, we'll throw it over to you. Have anything cool you saw in the last week or couple weeks in college football? Um, during halftime of the Notre Dame SC game, the band Chicago played halftime. Does it get any cooler than that? Little 25 <laughs> or 6 or 4, little Saturday in the park while you're watching the Irish cooking on all cylinders. That was my highlight. It was unbelievable. And I, I'm a huge Chicago fan, so I was, like, giddy. I said to my uh, my producer, and we did two shows in South Bend uh, Friday and Saturday for uh, ESPNU Radio, and I said to my producer, I said, you know what I'm the most excited about for the game on Saturday? She's like, what? I said, halftime. Chicago. Didn't disappoint. <laughs> Therefore, that was my cool highlight of the weekend. There you go. Well, I know you. I, I, I know you. I know you like Notre Dame a lot, Chris. Remember the story you tell me about? I think going over there with your grandfather when you were little kids. So uh, mm-hmm. I know you like giving back to the old Golden Dome when you get a chance. Special place. Very, very special, and uh, it was off the charts cool. The atmosphere, the belief, the excitement was second to none in South Bend last weekend. All right, guys. Very good stuff as always, Tom, uh, Chris. Thanks for joining us. And uh, it's a big weekend, and looking forward to it. I, I, I can't imagine the, the scene in Columbus, so I'm, I'm very jealous of fans out there. Everyone gets to go, and uh, we'll all be watching. So, Chris, thanks for joining us. Tom, thanks as always. Hey, thank, thank you. you. Thank and you and I've got, I, great job, buddy. Hold on, I've got to end it this way. Go Gophers, Sky Ma, row the boat. Thanks for having <laughs> me, guys. Thanks again to Tom and Chris for joining me. And before we wrap up, we're going to do our weekly stat head segment with Harold Shelton. And I'm going to drop one final reminder before we get to that. Do not forget, you can take 10% off your order on the online BTN shop with the coupon code TAKE10. That's T-A-K-E-1-0, all caps. So find that shop on BTN.com by clicking the shop or store tab and take advantage of that code today. Do it right now. Actually, not right now. Listen to the segment first with Harold Shelton, the stat head segment, and then go to the store. Take advantage of that code, and we'll get right to it so you can do both. It's the StatHead segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. All right, I'm back once again with our resident StatHead, BTN researcher Harold Shelton. 
Uh, it's been uh, two weeks since our last our last segment. We yeah, had a we week off you last week. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's I'm not too sorry though because I was out in New York for media day and uh, having a good time. So you were the one thing I missed about this place. How's that feel? Appreciate that. You know, it always feels good to be wanted. Absolutely. So H, we got you back this week, um, and it's a good week to be back because we have pretty much the game of the year in the Big Ten so far coming up this weekend in Penn State and Ohio State. We'll talk about that in depth. In just a moment here, but while we're reflecting on this past weekend's games, I want to touch on a unique scenario that that played out in the Iowa Northwestern game, and it's one that I, you don't see that often in college football, but uh, it's something that comes along every every so often in, in one shape or another, and that's uh, Northwestern deciding to pretty much sit on the ball with a minute left in a tie game to play for overtime and I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on if you think the way those teams are set up if playing for overtime the field position they had with the time that was left and with the way those you know offenses and defenses are structured is that the right play and is that usually going to be the right play in college football or is this a unique situation for, for that team? Uh, well, I think Fitz is, is normally a conservative type of coach uh, so the decision didn't surprise me too much um, I could certainly see why some people would be upset that he kind of sat on the ball, but I figured, at least me looking at it, uh, Iowa scored a touchdown in the first quarter, didn't score, you know, didn't reach the end zone the rest of the game. Uh, their defense was playing well. Uh, no need to make a mistake in that situation. They've had bad offensive line issues throughout, so if it's one of those situations where Thorson gets pressured, takes a sack, fumbles, or is pressured, throws a pick, you know, no need for that kind of situation. He figured his defense would be up to the challenge and, you know, scoring from 25 yards away, he figured his team would have a better chance to do that than Iowa, and they did. Yeah, it did work out in their favor. Northwestern won that game. And you're right, Northwestern's not really a team that, you know, this season that we've seen is capable of essentially putting together long drives in in quick fashion. So I can see why Fitz did it. I was just curious to get your, your take on that. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk about the featured game from last weekend real quick and kind of lump it into our discussion moving forward because Penn State is the subject of the biggest game last week and, of course, the biggest game this weekend. Last weekend they pretty much destroyed Michigan, uh, 42-13, and their offensive guys, the usual suspects, had great games once again. So what worked for them in that game, and what do you see carrying over from that performance to their matchup with number 6 Ohio State in the shoe this weekend? Uh, well, you can definitely tell Penn State put the bye week to good use. Um, they showed some formations and some plays in that game that you didn't really see in their first six games. Uh, you know, Saquon and out of the Wildcat, uh, they use him a lot in space. And just the way that his versatility and the way they use him just puts so much stress on the defense. You know, obviously we know he's got the breakaway speed, as we saw on that, uh, that first run of the game. But they used him in space a lot as a receiver. I mean, he probably left, you know, 50 to 75 yards on the field. Um, you know, as he, he dropped a wheel route down the sideline, he slipped on another one coming around. I mean, he just put so much stress on a defense. Michigan tried to put him in man with a, with a linebacker that's, you know, 240 pounds. He's got no shot of staying with Saquon. So I'll be curious to see what Ohio State's game plan is to deal with a guy like that because he literally just changes everything. How about on the flip side? Um, how's Penn State going to deal with Ohio State? Is there any numbers heading into this game with the, the numbers those – uh, guys on Ohio State that Penn State offense has been putting up. Is there anything that you think, um, you know, is Penn State going to 
be able to slow them down because Ohio State has been rolling, albeit against much lesser competition than what they're going to see on Saturday? Uh, I think if they can stop the run, they've got a good shot. I mean, for me, I, I want to see JT Barrett do it on the big stage. It's, you know, it's three games against top five teams in his career, all within the last, you know, the Oklahoma game, the Michigan game last year, the Clemson Bowl game. No touchdown passes, four picks. I just want to be able to see him do it against a really good defense. This is the number one scoring defense in the country. Uh, they get after the quarterback. They've got two great playmakers in the secondary with Grant Haley and Marcus Allen. So, you know, if they could put pressure on Barrett, you know, limit Dobbins, make sure he doesn't, uh, you know, hit the home run. You know, they had a lot of success last year getting to Barrett. They got to him uh, six times, I believe. So, you know, if they can get pressure on Barrett and stop the run, I think they got a good shot. Yeah, you mentioned those zero touchdowns against those top five teams. Uh, Barrett has 21 touchdowns uh, versus – just one pick this year. He's the all-time Big Ten leader in touchdowns accounted for. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road this weekend. You know, he can kind of define that legacy one way or another. If he puts up a game like we've seen against some of this lesser competition, or at least teams outside that top five, then you know he can rewrite history a little bit. But uh, the book will be written if he struggles again. That you know he wasn't up to the uh, quite up to the task of um, taking down top five teams. Yeah, his legacy is a really interesting one, right? I mean, he's, what, two-time quarterback of the year in the Big Ten. You know, 2014 year, he's he's great. He's looking like he's on his way to, you know, a monster performance. Uh, you know, the, he's fifth in the Heisman Trophy voting. He is hurt against Michigan. He's not a part of the Big Ten championship game or the two playoff games. You're on the roster, but you aren't playing in those games. So then you're favored the next two years. You don't reach Indy either time. Now you got a chance. It's, you know, top two team at home, big stage, all eyes are on you, and everybody's just kind of waiting to see, hey, I want to do it. I want to see him do it against a, you know, a known team. I want to see him do it against a really good defense. And this is his chance. And if he does, he vaults right into the Heisman discussion. Ohio State's in the championship discussion. I mean, everything's on the line on Saturday. Yeah, and, you know, it, you hate to see someone like him, you know, by all accounts, a great kid. Seems like a really nice guy when we, when we get to talk to him and sit down with him. Obviously, he's had a storied career and, and a fantastic long career at Ohio State, but, you know, you play poorly a couple of those games, that, that's that's the book on you. So, Especially in um, a place like Ohio State. Yeah, when you're on a big stage, like I was just going to say that, when you're on a big stage like that, you know, fair or not, that's how, uh, that's how people are going to define you. So it'll be interesting to see. H, thanks again. That's another uh, good stat head segment in the books. And we'll revisit this next week, and we'll see how, uh, how everything shakes out. Yeah, sounds good. Glad to be back on. And you know, we'll see if Penn State can rise up again. Next week, got another top 20 opponent, so we'll see what happens. All right, it'll be fun. Thanks again to H, Tom, and Chris for joining me. And thanks, as always, to everyone out there for listening. And like we said, things are getting real now. We've got a Titanic game this weekend. Playoff rankings come out next week. Contenders are being sorted out from pretenders. And we'll be here for it all. As well as uh, for the start of basketball season, which is coming up in a couple weeks. And I cannot wait for that either. So be sure to look out for our next Take 10 episode as well. And it's actually not a football-focused episode, but it is an interview with former Northwestern Wildcat and Chicago Bear Corey Wooten. So that should be out very soon. So be on the lookout for that and you won't miss it if you subscribe so do that if you haven't already and 
we'll wrap up now. Thanks as always to Wes White for producing. And we will talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.